Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 219 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. We have Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? All right. Okay, so no, so yeah, so I guess we'll just dive into follow-up since we don't have any Ask MTJC this week of any consequence. So why don't you go first there, Jaime, you put one up here. Yeah, quick one here. We talked many moons ago about Microsoft acquiring GitHub for $7.5 billion with a B. And a few days ago, they made it official because it finally got through um, both the U.S. and European Union's uh, antitrust folks taking a look at it and saying, yep, this is okay with us. So do you think the climate of um, GitHub will change now that Microsoft owns it? Because it's sort of always been an open source kind of free-for-all kind of place, right? That's a good question. They seem to have continued to build more open source stuff, like their um, it actions on GitHub to do uh, more things beyond just building your software. They've got almost a, if this, if this then that I have triple T. Did they buy of, that one too? So they did not buy that, but they made a thing oh. that you could sort of build a lot of the same sort of stuff. And I don't know, we'll definitely have to wait and see. Um, with, you know, old Microsoft, like under Steve Ballmer, you would have felt a whole lot more negative about this. And, and certainly I don't want to downplay a lot of the negativity that folks felt towards this acquisition, but it definitely does seem like it's a, it's a brand new Microsoft under Satya Nadella. They are definitely more in the uh, open source world than they were before. And they seem to embrace it more as a way to um, you know, even if you cynically look at it, just like as a way to make more money because they can build tools that people will love and use and they can acquire tools like GitHub that people use and love. Right. So, and what, so where has Steve Ballmer gone? He, I believe is still the primary owner of the LA Clippers basketball team. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he's taken his uh, chair throwing enthusiasm and, and, and put it into appropriate venues. Okay, cool. So we weren't going to talk about this, but really just maybe real quick hit on this. So IBM has, has made motions to acquire 
where um, Red Hat, the line, I, I think of them as, as the Linux company, Linux company, however you want to pronounce it. Um, you know, and I think if I'm not mistaken, they were the they were the first sort of Linux flavor that that started charging people for using licenses. But um, IBM is using it as a as a play towards open source clouds cloud environment, whatever. It's it's definitely continuing their open source sort of ways. So you can think of like IBM Cloud, formerly known as oh, Bluemix, okay, right. yeah. and a lot of their stuff like their uh, serverless functions run on OpenWhisk, uh, Apache OpenWhisk. That you, it's open source software. You can go download it and run it yourself. Uh, I think largely because IBM has changed to where they're predominantly in that um, services and consulting type of industry. So for them, the open source is great because it means that there are people who want to use stuff that also requires, if you're an enterprise, some sort of like you know support system more than just like, hey, file, a, file an issue on GitHub or put a PR on GitHub. Um, there are definitely companies, big enterprise that be like, I, I need a single throat to choke when my stuff isn't nice. working and IBM will gladly give you that throat for much, much, much money on the table. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a similar play, I think. Is it a similar play to, to Microsoft buying GitHub and, and IBM buying Red Hat? What do you think? I, I think in a lot of respects, yes, although it's coming from a different angle where I think Microsoft is coming from the standpoint of, okay, we want to be where developers are and they want to sell tools, perhaps, you know, certainly for the enterprise, but also to independent developers. Whereas here at IBM, they're very clearly going at the enterprise and their cloud solution is bringing up the rear, to be quite frank, in terms of um, usage and you know, full competency of suite compared to Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud Platform. And IBM Cloud is sort of the, the fourth one sort of left out. And so I could see that buying Red Hat not only gives them the more sort of direct model of, hey, people pay Red Hat money, not because they want Linux, but because they want the support for Red Hat, Linux, and Fedora and stuff. Right, yeah, yeah. I, I also was unaware that Red Hat had the cloud aspect of, I want to say it's OpenShift or OpenStack. I apologize if I've gotten it wrong as to which one it is. That's a container service uh, orchestrator, kind of similar to Google's Kubernetes that's been open sourced. So I think that's sort of where they're trying to come in it from like, all right, we can't beat these other cloud vendors. So we're going to have this hybrid cloud solution that's like, hey, if you want to migrate from Amazon to Google, great, we can give you tools that do that. Or for redundancy, because you're a big enough company, you want to have like, all right, if Microsoft goes down for a week because something terrible happens in their data system, uh, data centers, we can still fail over to Google Cloud Platform or we can fail over to AWS because they'll have that um, integration piece. I think that's the play that IBM is going for with his Red Hat acquisition. Right, right. With the GitHub one, uh, GitHub one, I, I, I'm not sure it's it's a play to actually make money on tools at all. I, I think it's more of a, uh, it, it kind of completes the triangle, if you will, of Visual Studio and Azure. And, you know, GitHub is another piece that will, will lock in a lot of developers. You know, if there's really strong integrations into, micro, into Visual Studio and you can store all your info on, in Azure, uh, it, it kind of makes a lot of sense as, as being sort of a one-stop shop for, for developers and, and maybe they're trying to get uh, customers who are who are using GitHub and familiar with GitHub more onto that development platform by, by having a lot of strong integration there. Right. Didn't you mean to yeah. say con it conjoins the triangles? The conjoined triangles uh, of, of success? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're you're probably pretty spot on there, Mark. Um, I think for both of these players, IBM and Microsoft, they didn't lead the pack. So they're, they're missing out on something like Microsoft doesn't 
doesn't have a solid mobile solution that it can hang its hat on the way that Google and Apple do. Um, and IBM didn't have a great cloud solution that it could hang its hat on either. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of thing like, well, we'll be the integrator between all these different cloud systems for you. Right. And, and, you know, mobile, mobile is pretty hot. And of, of course we, we all like that side of it, but, but the server side, the cloud side is actually pretty strong and Microsoft actually still holds a lot of that market. So, so uh, yeah, just adding extra tools to complete their, their own ecosystem, I think uh, is, is what they're thinking there. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that Red Hat has a big play on, in the, the sort of Linux Unix world and enterprise for sure. You know, I've dealt with it and crossed my paths a number of times. Right. So, yeah, I've, I've been a customer of Red Hat in the past uh, in an enterprise situation where we, yep. you know, we use their, uh, their distribution. Uh, I, I, you know, I can't necessarily say it's any, any better than, uh, than something like Ubuntu, but, but mm-hmm. uh, at least at the time, this is a few years out of date, but at least at the time that was, you know, they were the one, it, it's kind of like, you know, the old saying, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. Right. Right. Uh, exactly. In some sense, nobody ever got fired for buying Red Hat. If you need a Linux distribution, they're the mm-hmm. ones that are, you know, sort of the, the kind of the gold standard, even even though they're not necessarily the best one, but they're the ones that, are, that have the perception of being the... Yeah, they were sort of the legitimate legitimate version or legitimate flavor of yeah. all the open source versions of Linux. Yeah, right? exactly. Ubuntu still sort of has the kind of, you know, um, hacker indie kind of... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sure. All right. Um, the next story here was just a quick one. We talked about the Chinese chip story, the, the, the apparent, you know, fictitious, fake news, whatever you want to call it, um, claim that Bloomberg had made about the Chinese manufacturers putting spy chips onto their boards and selling them out to, you know, big vendors like Amazon and Apple. And uh, these, this article here talks about the retaliatory measures that um, Amazon and, or AWS and Apple are taking. And in fact, Apple apparently banned um, Bloomberg from this latest event uh, for the, announcing the, you know, iPads and iMacs and stuff. Or not iMacs, uh, Mac, Pro, uh, Mac Airs. Um, just an interesting thing that, that uh, kind of interesting way to do that. And, and odd because, you know, uh, Walt Mossberg, when he was at Bloomberg was like sort of, you know, the guy that got broke the stories, you know, so interesting, uh, interesting move there. Yeah. And Amazon also fired back at Bloomberg by removing um, its ad buy from Bloomberg for the, the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if it's on their website, if it's on like Bloomberg West, their, uh, their television channel or, or what it is, but I'm sure it's a ton of money that will not be going towards Bloomberg as a way to put economic pressure on them. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, banning somebody from an event, I think that's it, to get invited to an Apple event is a privilege. I mean, there's so much, there's so few secrets anymore. I think we all kind of knew more or less what was going to come out, you know, at least what products were going to be talked about, you know, going in. I think one or two that didn't get talked about, you know, um, we're not surprised they didn't get talked about, but, you know, the details of, of what, what was going to happen, you know, uh, was surprising. But I mean, even before the event started, I mean, people were on Twitter talking about was what was coming out. So, I mean, banning a, a news agency from uh, something like an Apple event doesn't have much teeth to it you know it's also weird to think of it as a ban rather than a not invite like yeah by the same right. token like th- this show got banned as well you know because we we give the real deal the yeah, real we talk never, we, yeah. <laughs> we don't hold back <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, yeah, it's funny. Like, you know, so I, I've been to a couple of Apple events as a press person, like on a press press pass, they call it, right? Um, from a from a magazine I used to write for years ago. But, um, you know, and, and I've explored whether or not podcasters can be seen as, as press. And, and it's funny, we're not. Apple doesn't recognize um, podcasters as, as legitimate press. I asked a question once of them. So, weird, eh? Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, you know, so we, we do love we them. We put out uh, yeah, go ahead. a press release that we got banned. Uh, 
from the <laughs> see how much see how much uh, we didn't get that invited that yet. gives us <laughs> that's true that's true yeah it's funny that's funny we should try that sometime yeah um well speaking of the invite that good segue there mark uh the um so we talked last week about uh, you guys were saying that there were roughly eight that you, you had seen eight uh, designs i think it was eight eight sort of designs in in the thing but as we saw in the beginning of the the presentation and and i had heard that there was more than eight in fact turned out to be the more more than 350 uh invites that were sent out each each uh like uh, i think i don't think anyone um i wonder how many people got invited to that event because i i saw like the the name tags of a couple of people like Rene ritchie or uh andy anako and um they had different icons on those and of course at the beginning of the event they, they were animating those like so mac rumors put together a uh, an imager uh, catalog of all of the um icons that they had found um in in the event different invites invites and stuff like that so and of course i built the artwork for last week's episode based on on some of the ones that i'd seen there but um yeah it's just interesting to see and then of course you know it was really really even more amazing during the beginning of the rollout of the event that they animated you know many of these uh apple icons so it's kind of strange too from a from a from a uh let me just go back put my artist hat back on or my my graphic designer hat back on art direction it's odd that a company would allow their their own icon their own brand image to be distorted in such a way as that you know um you know i guess it's their image they can play with it but you know there's there's such strident rules about how you use apple's uh, insignia like if you're an official partner of theirs in any way that it's odd that they would they would you know go to that that extent to distort their own logo all in the name of fun of course right yeah i, I think the context matters here because you're you're 100 right they get really twitchy about how you use like you know available in the app store logos um right yeah that are just pre-cut for you already i have never worked for apple but if i did i can guarantee that anything that has a presentation on it that goes outside of the company they probably have very strict rules around which templates you're supposed to use which logo is supposed to be where and precisely how many pixels it's supposed to be from any other content and that sort of thing um, exactly yeah yeah like the apple logo there's a protected area around the actual actual apple logo itself and there's also the certain fonts you were allowed to use or not allowed to use depending on you know your relationship with them right so i think the sign that the the brand and the logo is is so strong and so entrenched that they that they now feel that they can play with it uh and with and don't have any fear that people will misinterpret it as anything else yeah of course mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. very exactly. iconic yeah, yeah. And, and to be honest with you there were a lot of fun icons i mean it was fun to see the the different ways that they could you know play around with it um just even in a static image but to see those things animated was was a lot of fun from an artistic point of view as well mm-hmm. and presumably as as people predicted it was tied in with the whole photoshop uh mm-hmm. you know presence in the in the yeah that's true that's true yeah yeah, yeah. The, so there was a theory behind um you know people were kind of wondering why brooklyn and um i was reading i was watching Rene richie's uh vector podcast video blog vlog i guess you call it um and he had sort of put together the idea that maybe because the area that they were in 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 new york is you know the hive of of uh, scum and art direction a lot of artists and, and creative types are down in that area i guess and uh, he thought that maybe that may be why they maybe be tie into some sort of artistic expression you know or, or people show having people demonstrate the, the use of the, the stuff and of course it was photoshop in this case but or adobe in this case but uh um interesting interesting idea that that's why they chose brooklyn mm-hmm. I, uh, other than the fact that they did do everything in california why not do something in new york for a change right yeah and adobe is yeah. right here actually so yeah they're in Mount, uh, mountain they're, view right no no they're in downtown san jose are they oh yeah. right okay yeah. i'm sure i remember where's the adobe river because that's where they they were founded the adobe river i don't know yeah because they the, that's where the, the i think it's mountain 
Mountain View is where they used to, where they originally were. That's where the two guys formed the company, right? Mm. You know, yeah. So, and it was named after the, the Adobe River that runs through there somewhere. We'll have to, you know, I guess that'll be a fact check or follow up for later, I guess. Yeah, real time follow up um, in progress right now. Yeah. So speaking of Tim and his background in art, um, yeah. So I mentioned last week that I was I was interviewed for CA um, uh, for uh, I think it was called what's it called Workplace. I gotta look it up here. Oh my God, I can't remember. Um, There's an Adobe Creek in Sonoma County. Maybe that's it. But yeah, that's yeah. kind of far out. That's north of San Francisco. Hmm. Right, something to do with where one of the two of the guys lived. I've forgotten the names now of them now. So yeah, I was interviewed by CA for their modern software factory, um, I guess, branch about uh, my work at TD Bank and about how we use Agile and uh, to transform our iOS delivery and Android delivery too. They, t- they focus on, on iOS in the article, but it's both uh, both platforms. Yeah, so anyway, that was my sort of humble brag on this week about, uh, last week about being interviewed by this um, gentleman. By the way, his name is Christopher Null, N-U-L-L, and he says he's a software, dev- like I was chatting with him about the name, because when I first got the email from him, you know, Null at such and such, I've uh, forgotten his email address, but I kind of went, hey, that's kind of a weird email address to have. I th- when I first saw it, I thought it was like a, a mistake, right? Like a like a spam software or something like that. And uh, yeah, he says that he wrote an article on, on having the name uh, Null, N-U-L-L, being a, being a real issue with uh, software developers. So you can imagine, like, you know, most of us would never think that that could actually be somebody's last name, right? Yeah, you thought some developer made a mistake. Yeah, or the the for web for the the email blast form didn't fill in the name properly. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, so is he the one who wrote that article? That's like I'm invisible to computers or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he utterly I, I breaks it, like your JSON parsing with his name. Yeah. You're not very careful. Yeah. Interesting thing. So yeah, we had a bit of a chat about that after the interview. That's cool. So that's that's about me. If you want to find out a little bit more about that, it's a real short brief article, but interesting stuff. Quick interjection, real time follow up. The name of the mm-hmm. company Adobe comes from Adobe Creek in Los Altos, California, which ran behind John Warnock's house. See? There you go. And who's the other guy? Gresh, Greshner? Uh, Charles Geschke, something like that. Geschke. Yeah, I have to look at it. Yeah. Those are the two guys that formed Adobe. They, they wrote Postscript is what their claim to fame mm. is. Yep. Yeah. So, which, as we know, be, you know, was started off the whole desktop revolution and which also helped Mac gain uh, somewhat of a market share in the design world, right? Because it was the laser writer, um, I think it was PageMaker and uh, the Mac that were that started the desktop publishing revolution. Mm-hmm. A bit of uh, history for you guys. Um, last one here was just a quick article. Uh, uh, this is coming from the Jamf conference that they do every year, um, and we talked. This is ties into our talk about uh, Jamf and how uh, we brought up, and I added some, piled on some stuff about last week about Jamf. Um, their uh, latest uh, keynote basically starts off with saying there is no step three, which is something we said here a lot, and you know I sort of t- teased about that on on Twitter because that is what that was actually an Apple when Apple introduced the iMac there um, the suggestion about how easy it was to get on the internet was you know plug it in turn it on and there is no step three and so taking playing on that um, Jeff is basically saying that with their with the um, their solution basically open it up power it on and then just you know it'll it'll discover you know whatever uh, um, enterprise network you're on and it'll start to configure itself right so I, I forget what the first two steps were in the original commercial was it plug it into the power and plug it into the internet or was one turn it on um i think but it was actually uh, there are three there are three steps right well <laughs> plug it, yeah, it, was, it was a jeff plug it into the internet it a, or the ethernet or whatever and and turn you know flip the on switch but yeah it's a commercial by uh, narrated by jeff goldblum yeah, yeah basically you know i guess plug in all the things to the computer then plug it into the wall or turn it on yeah, or whatever but so. 
Yeah, because it starts with them plugging, like a like plugging it into the into the wall socket, right, and then turning it on. That's kind of what they. Uh, that's the first two steps, right? But you, you know, there's an initial setup step that they they kind of glossed over mm-hmm. so, for the sake of marketing. <laughs> when it get technical, right? Um, but yeah, because you know, actually the first step in Jamf is you know go to the enterprise store, order the computer, get the the PO approved, you know, use your corporate credit card. <laughs> but yeah, there's a few more steps than, than just plugging. I'm in watching the commercial right now. Hold on. Yeah. He just goes, there is no step three. There is no step three. We play the Jeopardy music while we wait, honey. <laughs> do, 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 this is why we're banned, because we're tearing apart the marketing, do, saying, this do, is a lie, do, fake news, it's more do, than three steps. Do, 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 do. How long does it take to watch this commercial? Holy cow. Yeah, I know. It's taking a long time. I thought it was a 30-second ad spot. Okay. Uh, so I just watched the ad. It's They they zoom into a uh, a wall socket that has one electrical outlet and an Ethernet port directly below it. Ah. And step one, plug in, and he plugs it into the power. Step two, get connected. He plugs in the Ethernet. Step three. My phone line probably back in that those days, Mark. Pardon? We'd have been a phone line back in those days. Like a, like a RJ11, not RJ45. I guess it could be. Uh, yeah. yeah. It could be. Modem, phone, right? Right. Depending. Most people in their homes would have had a motor. Well, that's true. That's true. Most people in their homes. You're right. But yeah. Now, but uh, definitely step two is uh, get connected. So mm-hmm. they left out the turn it on part. They always got to cut for time. Yeah. Sequences have been shortened <laughs> for this advertisement. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So just, you know, for those of you driving along at home, episode 184 was by the More Than Just Code podcast. Folks, was called There Is No Step 3. Mm. And I'm pretty sure I put that art, that uh, video here on this page. Hmm. Maybe not. Because I actually have a picture of uh, original Bondi Blue. Mac, and you'll be happy to sit here that I said about that weird Bondi. mouse that the original ones had, the round mouse, the puck mouse, yeah, yeah, very popular in Canada. Really? Well, because well, no. hockey. No, yeah. <laughs> we hated it. <laughs> yeah, we hated it just because every time you picked it up, you were picking it up wrong, right? Yeah, you were holding it wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why they came up with that expression. I'm sure yeah. that in the iPhone four. Alrighty, well, it's uh, I guess we're there. We should start start talking about the big event which happened uh, uh, yesterday morning. This is uh, Wednesday, October thirty first, and when Tuesday, October 30th at 7 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time, um, Apple made an announcement, which was held in New York at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, I believe, right? That's right. It's at the Howard Gilman Opera House, specifically mm-hmm. within the Brooklyn Academy of Music. Ooh, even even special, yeah. Yeah, so Tim came out and Tim Cook came out and, you know, gave his spiel about, you know, 100 million Macs and so on and so forth. So right at the top, they, they started talking about the Macintosh, which is great. You know, got a lot of cheers from the crowd. And, and uh, so they introduced a new macbook air uh it's less i think the last iteration of macbook air was or mac yeah macbook air i have a 2013 which i think was the last version of it although i think there are have been sort of incremental versions of it um but nothing really spe- specifically changed like no chipsets or um things changed over the last few years right if i'm not mistaken but um yeah so what did anybody get get any information about the new macbook air i've got some stats here I feel like i could lead in with them go for it tons tons of stats i wrote down i, I think folks are going to care a lot about that retina display because that's been asked for for a long time yeah you think uh, well so yeah i mean i i don't have a retina display on my macbook air and i don't know that i really miss it you know but then again you know i'm not doing like i'm not doing fine detail work on it i guess right um what do you think I, four times resolution and so on and so forth right i i think if you were to see them side by side you would probably be like oh my gosh it's hurting my eyes to even look at the other one it's <laughs> it sort of had that weird transition on on the iphone as well right when it first went to retina 
was like, oh, right, was yeah, yeah. Then it's like, oh, I can't, I can't go back. It's not the same. I didn't know what I was missing, and now that I do, I can't unsee it. Right. It's kind of like going back right. and watching standard definition TV after years of HD TV, right? Yeah. True. Or, yeah. or, or a channel that's not not in high def. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So f- apparently, four times the resolution, four million pixels is what I got written down here, and forty eight percent more color with a bezel that's fifty percent narrower. So they've. Uh, wh- wh- where did I write the note here? They have seventeen percent less volume on this thing, despite it having a really massive, comparatively speaking, display. Mm-hmm. Like, does it mean that the actual computer is smaller, like like dimension wise? I believe so because let's see, it's a quarter pound lighter at two point seven five pounds. Um, I wrote it; it is fifteen point six millimeters, but I don't have the comparison on the millimeter thickness elsewhere. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is a little bit lighter, about a half pound lighter, I think, than the existing one, and thinner. Um, for me, like so, so again, I wasn't impressed by the. I mean, I, I guess I would be impressed by the Retina if I was going to buy one. Uh, for me, that the Touch ID chip was or Touch ID button uh, is the is the selling piece for me like that was because that's the reason why i've been looking at my next mac being a macbook pro 13 is because simply because of the touch the touch bar but most importantly the touch id because i really find it annoying now that i use a touch id device at work um to come home and like an animal have to enter you know my password to get into uh, one password for instance right several times a day so and, and it's cool that the the t- the t2 chip is built right into that that button as well um at least that's the way it appeared in the in the animation that they showed right that it seemed to be like an integrated like the t2 chip was right underneath the as part of the same button because it would mean mean that replacing it if you ever had a problem with it would just replacing the whole the whole uh, button right and the issue with that is that the the secure, secure enclave and the key that stores your uh, your credential your your biometric uh, identifier um would be in there so that might make um reading your hard drive a little different after difficult after replacing it yeah you know? they, they'd probably would have to suggest that you at least do time machine if not iCloud backup oh yeah sure Sure. The info because you're right like that secure enclave is is no joke it's meant to keep things secure and by golly it does to to the point at which and it, they didn't talk about this during the show but it came out i don't know on some website somewhere later on that the microphone array the three microphone array as they mentioned that right, yeah. better um better microphone capability will uh disconnect physically disconnect if you close the lid and that's based on some sort of routing through the t2 chip so you can rest oh, really? assured that at least while you're you know while your device is is closed um, nobody's going to be able to use that microphone to snoop in on you in any way. Like it's physically that impossible would... because the electrical part will disconnect. And but does that mean that I wonder that what that does to you know the closed lid operation of like uh, you know when you close your lid on a, on a Mac and you plug it into an external monitor? I wonder how that affects that. You wouldn't be using the microphone in that case. I, I don't think you can when it's closed like that. Oh, you'd have to be using, like, yeah, like I've got an Apple Cinema display here with, or whatever you call these things, the LED display, and it has its own microphone and, and video camera and stuff like that. Yeah, so that, that's that's a different thing altogether for sure. Like I have a um, a USB webcam that I use for work, and that definitely would not be, um, you know, protected in any way by the T2 chip. So, Mark, you have you have a, a um, one of those LG monitor, that USB-C monitor at work? I do, you? yeah. Yes. So how do you uh, yeah. how do you find like because my other concern about this is of course this this is a, another piece is that it's all USB C now right so there's no MagSafe anymore right, right. Um, I don't know if there's a headphone jack um, but but yeah it's just two USB C ports on the one side right which um, one you're talking about I'm talking about the MacBook Air right yeah so it has it has two USB C ports on the side so there's no more USB A there's no more MagSafe like I'm looking at mine right now I've got oh. Thunderbolt and two USBs and then MagSafe right yeah so the new yeah. but I have 
have a, I use a, uh, I guess it's a 2016 version of the MacBook Pro at work. Yeah. The touch bar one. And uh, yeah, that had, that's only USB-C as well. There's no MagSafe. So do you have any, my, con- my concern from my perspective is about peripherals. Like the, like I'm currently, I currently have a 24 inch um, uh, Apple LCD display that has the Thunderbolt port and the USB. And so I plug my keyboard and all that kind of stuff into my display. Oh, so I'm, yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to be able to I, use that I, anymore. I use right? a Bluetooth keyboard and a Bluetooth trackpad at work. So pretty much I, okay. I only plug uh, the laptop into the monitor and then any device, any you know, iPhones or whatever that I'm using for development, I plug those into the laptop as well. So do you do you take the laptop home with you in, yeah. in the evening? Uh-huh. Or? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. So no blockers from 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 the point of view just only having USB C ports on it like you've been able to make the adjustment to that. Oh yeah, there's no issue. Yeah, uh, there's well, I mean the you know the hardest part sometimes is finding finding a cable, a USB to Lightning cable because they they tend to be in demand and people know that I have or had a stash of them uh, and uh, okay, yeah. and they seem to you know walk away every once in a while. But uh, other than that, no, there's no issues. So you mean the USB-C to Lightning cable yes. for pl- charging your phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah I have yeah. one too. Nobody's discovered mine yet, but yeah, yeah. lucky that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they do. Send, they do tend to grow legs. These these cables, yeah. right? I got um, piles and piles of the USB-A to Lightning ones. Nobody seems to want those anymore. <laughs> you need to do like the. You yeah. need to do like the bathroom key at like you know a restaurant that doesn't want you using them. Right. It's like this obnoxious keyboard or uh, sorry clipboard has been like duct taped to the thing. Mm-hmm. So the other thing is is the Force Touch trackpad, right? That's new on on the new machines because it's going to be the same as what we have in the current you know 2016 um, laptops and 2018 laptops, and of, of course I've got the Magic Mouse Magic Trackpad Two or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. which is also a Force Touch one. Yep. Um, for me, it's been it's been you know I've, I've had the time to get used to it, but I think that because anytime I hand a, a new Mac to somebody who's not used a Force Touch trackpad, there's a bit of a learning curve in how much pressure to put on the trackpad, and so that might be a learning curve for people who. Are Currently using MacBook Airs. Mm. Yeah, I love the uh, so, the Magic Rock Pad too. I, I kind of couldn't live without it yeah. at this point. Well, and also they beefed up the amount of um, um, memory, so you can go to 16 gigs on it now, as opposed to eight, which was the max. Mm-hmm. And the max for the 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 Apple installed hard drive was 512 um, SSD, right? Um, gigabyte SSD. Now the option is to go. It's 128, which, to be honest with you, I think 128 is ridiculous these days in terms of a Mac. But 128, 256, 512, and then it jumps to 1.5 terabyte in terms of the hard drive configuration. And one of the things on my list has been to get a, a Mac with more more disk on it, right? A more disk space. And um, But going to 1.5 seems a bit much. And actually, it's um, in Canadian dollars. I think it's $1,400 to get to jump to that size drive. Have you guys looked at the, the pricing configurations of these at all? I have not. I haven't. I just wrote down that it's starting at 1199 US. Yeah, ordering today, one. which was yep. a day ago and available on November 7th. Yeah, the other so the other thing for me is, again, because I'm in the market for a new Mac, and so I'm focusing on it. Is that uh, so? I did I did the math on on the different versions. The exist the the cur- the current or the previous uh, MacBook Air. You could put in an i7 processor. So my my current Mac has 512 gigabyte hard drive. Uh, I got the max RAM, which was eight eight gigabytes at the time. The third thing. Oh, uh, and so I want to max out the RAM. I want to max out the processor, and I want to max out the the hard drive. But the new MacBook Air it only comes with an i5, and and so I can't upgrade the processor. So when I do the the math. 
math comparison between buying a you know 2018 or 20 what are we 2018 I guess they're 2018 versions of the MacBook Pro. Um, I would doing the math between a 13 inch MacBook Pro and a MacBook Air. I can I can get the more processor. I can get a one terabyte drive um, for about two or three hundred dollars more than buying a MacBook Air. So it's kind of for me and you know Retina display and USB C ports and uh, and Touch ID and the full touch bar. That's the other thing I noticed about the. I don't know if you guys noticed that about the MacBook Air is no touch bar, right? Well, I was about to bring that up. I, I actually think it's kind of conspicuous in its absence. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, it could be two things. It could just be, well, it's a smaller form factor. There's just not enough space. And they and they left it out for that reason. Or have they kind of realized what the rest of us have kind of realized that touch bar is not really that big of a thing? And and I, and I wonder if uh, it, it will, you know, it will not be present in some of the new MacBook Pros next year as well. Well, it's on in the MacBook, which is currently still in the configuration, right? That doesn't have one. And there is still, we talked about this last week, there is still a 13-inch version of the MacBook Pro that doesn't have... Right. Um, right. Touch bar, but then it doesn't have Touch ID either, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's also certainly possible. So I think it's certainly possible that it's like it's not really worth the investment that goes into it. Um, we saw something on the iPhone XR that doesn't have um, forced uh, 3D Touch, and the other thing could be just cost. It may just be that they couldn't hit the price point that they wanted if they included the Touch Bar. Mm-hmm. That's right, right. That's true. So who knows? Like we won't we won't know for sure until we see next year. Hopefully next year's uh, MacBook. Pro flagships yeah. as those should hypothetically be like whatever it costs go for it do you think that they would put like so we talked about this a bit on on uh joe joe triplinski and yourself and myself were talking in a circle on twitter about this touch id uh chip right the with look which looks like the t2 chip is in, in integrated um and the question is why not face id right and and my thing my my opinion was that um with the face id in the display it would mean if you had an issue with it you'd have to replace the whole display because this whole thing is so tight together it's pretty pretty much glued in place right and i know from having broken uh, macbook airs or family members broken them in the past that the that the, the fix is to replace the entire top lid right they just replace the display all, all at once they don't you know fix things in it right um well, so what do you think about the no also, face id i mean to, it takes a pretty sophisticated camera to do that and yeah. desktop or sorry laptops are, are not really generally considered photography devices uh so putting in that camera uh just for face id seems like a lot of extra expense and a lot of extra trouble for an application that that uh i mean it's it would it's a nice thing but but i'm not sure it warrants it the extra cost and the extra complication for for just face id on the phone of course you get you know you get better you get better uh photographs because you have this better camera but who's taking pictures with with a laptop right well but it could well don't forget the face id portion of um is from the true depth camera which isn't about taking photography it's about you know, um, reading your face and looking into your eyeball and stuff like that. But um, it could also be about intention, Mark, because you remember you mentioned, I was telling you a couple of weeks ago about the fact that you can do as you do, right, or super user do with Touch ID, with a touch bar now, right? Yep. Um, there's a there's a command you can put into your into your default that'll, that'll enable that so that... Um, Whenever you need to do that kind of command, you can use your, your touch ID for that. And I think that maybe you know if you if you have to authenticate something and all you have to do to authenticate it is to look at the screen, right? Um, that may not be what you really intend to do. Whereas actually having a you know place your finger on a key to to authenticate something might give you that moment of pause to think about what you're doing, right? Or maybe accidentally you know like like if something popped up and said, oh, I need your permission to install this, and you just you were looking at the screen uh, reading the dialogue, it might you know interpret that as as 
as acceptance, right? Yeah. yeah. So maybe that's why the no face ID. Yeah. Maybe Although, I'm not idea. sure that's that's the biggest concern for the MacBook Air. Maybe the MacBook Pro for Pro users, but for the Air, it's right. not really Pro users. Are you saying that MacBook Air users aren't real Pro users? <laughs> I, statistically, I would say the number of Air users are are uh, who are you know professional who are developer types is lower than than those using macros. I would say. Right. Okay. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I do think it is a different trade-off you're making, and I, I'd agree with Mark that. Uh, so Tim, you came up with like, hey, like with the cost difference and everything, it would make more sense to spend just a little bit more and get a. I think you said a 13-inch MacBook Pro. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. Because you're you're paying for uh, a lot of convenience for the miniaturization of the MacBook Air compared to mm-hmm. its brothers. Um, That's true. You're, you're getting a much lighter device. Um, and uh, I think that's a little bit different. Like, not to say that pros don't also need to, you know, take the bus or travel to faraway places where every pound counts. Uh, I think it's a different sort of sort of calculus than, all right, well, if I'm going to bring all of this unholy equipment anyways, this camera equipment or whatever specialized stuff, like an extra ounce here and there ain't going to matter. But if you're predominantly carrying your laptop around, you might pay for that convenience. And I could see where folks who are like, yeah, I don't really need the, the beefiness of a pro that's decked out with 32 gigs of RAM. Uh, and, and a core i7 processor, you know, whatever the top of the line is, uh, I could see where, where it sort of makes sense. That like, yeah, it, just people who are pros be like, well, I just got to get the beefiest machine. And people who are not pros be like, I don't really need the beefiest machine. And it's smaller and easier to carry around. Yeah. And that said, though, we we're always on the move at the office where I work because, you know, you go from one room to another for meetings and, and you're at your desk and then you're away from your desk. And we're constantly picking up our, you know, sorry, MacBook Pro 15 trackpad. And I'm, you know, constantly closing it and going to one, going, you know, walking for a good two or three minutes to another meeting so we're always on the move so the, like, the weight difference isn't that isn't that i mean the amount of weight in a, in a laptop isn't that isn't that much you know it'd be different if i was dragging around at you know a g5 tower or mac pro mac pro tower or something like that but or an imac pro but uh mm-hmm. so i you know and for me the reason why i went to the the macbook air was because i was doing a lot of consulting i was on my i was on you know on the road on the on the move a lot or i'd be standing at a trade show for hours with my laptop with my backpack on my back right um so yeah every like and we're getting on a plane or whatever so every ounce did count right but yeah and i like this i like the form factor i like the size of it it's it's pretty much i mean it's like a double hinged uh ipad pro 12 12 point my 12.9 inch ipad pro is the same size as my 13 inch mac more or less right like same footprint right mm-hmm. but of course i can run xcode on my macbook air that i can't do on my ipad even still another thing that may be an issue i, I actually don't know is the the lid of a laptop where the where the camera has to sit is actually a lot thinner yeah. than an iphone let's say so maybe the thickness yeah. of the camera itself is is prohibitive to putting it in the lid that's true that's true well we'll have to see like like how i said what happens with the macbook pro next year right yeah who knows yep. all of our points may be moot yep but yeah so i mean i am pleased as punch that they've added touch touch id to this device because mm-hmm. that that for me, that would be the selling factor for me. That's the one thing I'm looking for on a MacBook Air right now. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, because I can't beef up the processor, and that may be a heat issue too, because I'm, I'm I did exercise. I went and got a third-party one one terabyte drive uh, about a year ago and tried to put it in my MacBook Air, and and it would just overheat and mm-hmm. you know shut down and print kernel panic. And I ended up returning. I went through two of them, and I finally ended up returning it for my money. But uh, yeah, because you know, and and it used to get awfully warm. <laughs> you know, it had a huge heat sink on the on the, the memory stick, right? Even up in Canada where it's like 20 below all the time? Yeah. Yep. 
<laughs> we heat our igloos up here. Mark. Oh, you do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have to heat. We have to have heat to make poutine as well. Mm. Yeah. So, anything else we want to say about? So, let's put it this way. So, I am a MacBook Air user, lover, whatever. I am not probably going. Probably not going to buy a MacBook Air mm-hmm. uh, as my primary machine. What about you guys? Oh, I will certainly not buy a MacBook Air. I've never been a MacBook Air user. Uh, I've always done MacBook Pros, so I'm not going to buy one of those. I mean, yeah. Likewise, uh, I'm not a MacBook Air user because back in my day, laptops weighed many, many pounds, not a handful of pounds, less than a handful, like a third of a handful of pounds. So the the trade-off for the Pro is where I tend to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, larger, larger screen, and um, it's heavier than the Air, but I don't lug it around Um often enough for that weight to make a difference for me. Yeah, well, I've been I a laptop user. One of those 17-inch MacBook Pros back when they still made them. And with the cafeteria mm-hmm. tray. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. disappointed <laughs> when they stopped making it. Actually, I would I would so, buy one now if they if I still could. So I've been a, I've been a Mac a PowerBook user, like a MacBook or laptop user since they first came out in 92, 93. Um yeah, so I've always always uh, always been a laptop user, so. Yeah, and and I had the first MacBook Air, the first generation one with the goofy, you know, one USB Port and nothing else. So yeah, so I've gotten used to also like not even having a CD-ROM drive because that was the first thing that went on the difference between the MacBook Air and all the other computers at the time. They still had CD-ROM drives, right? Or DVD, I guess, super drives, right? Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, and I and I get again like for me the the ability to add more power to it as well as disk space and RAM. RAM and disk space are, are huge. I don't know what the difference would be between the current processors that they have in there now. The i like what's the difference between an i5 and an i7 when you get under the hood? You guys know just a faster chip uh probably clock speed probably bigger cache i would guess like would a would a an i5 in today's 2018 how would that compare to an i7 in my my 2013 machine good question what do you think yeah you'd have to see them side by side yeah Android i would i would guess that, that raw perf probably wouldn't have changed that much but you'd probably see the bigger savings regarding battery life a lot more effort has gone into that oh and maybe bus speed too right mm, yeah. on the on the new laptops yeah yeah maybe yeah so i'm looking at mine i have a uh, 1.7 gigahertz i7 in my uh, current mac so yeah so going even to going to a macbook pro 13 inch from that would be an improvement because it'd be like 2.7 or 2.5 might be might be number of cores as well oh that's true yeah yeah that was uh was it six quad core processors where's my notes that was a, a considerable or is that am i thinking about the um i'm thinking about the mac mini which is the next thing they introduced right yeah but before we go there i want to talk about the recycling bit because it was a really oh, big yeah. part dead iPads that went into making this guy? Yeah, yeah so 100% recycled tin, 35% post-consumer recycled plastic. More critically that they point out several times throughout this uh, show was the 100% recycled aluminum based on some sort of custom alloy from shavings that spoiler alert, they come from the iPads where they're making iPads. <laughs> <laughs> they sweep up the dust and then they melt it back down into a, a MacBook Air, I guess. Oh, so it wasn't made from from, from melted down iPads? It was made from the, the, the leftover stuff yeah they, they hint at it in the macbook air one about the the custom alloy from shavings which sounded like oh maybe it comes from other you know like you make you get an ingot or, or cube or whatever it is that they have of aluminum and then they shave it down and say all right this is now a unibody for a macbook air and i thought oh well they just pick up the shavings recast it or whatever it is that's required and then make the next one right so instead of getting you know this one block carving out this tiny little bit and throwing away everything they can keep using all of that aluminum minus whatever you know, gets lost to heat and, you know, dust inhaled by the workers or something. <laughs> 
Sorry, that went yeah. kind of dark. <laughs> they must, must have there. to weigh the employees on the way out to make sure they're not you know, bootlegging aluminum out of the built plant. But yeah. did you know that aluminum, like it's a province of Quebec and Canada is one of the biggest uh, exporters of aluminum, as we call it up here. Um, and uh, we've been like beer cans and pop cans and whatever, we've been recycling them for years. So so the whole like concept of 100% recycled aluminum, it's, it's like another, it's one of those metals that you can just melt down and it doesn't lose any integrity um, having been recycled or whatever. It doesn't get, doesn't degrade in quality or whatever because mm-hmm. um, it's an element, right? So um, interesting point that, 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 you know, it's made from dead iPads or, or, or the, the swept up um, remains of <laughs> unwanted core uh, from a CNC machine, right? Which is, yeah. Yeah. But, so I mean, it's kind of like, you know, uh, like, I don't know, like a Louisville slugger baseball bat. Like on yeah. The Simpsons, they showed how they took like an entire oak tree and shaved it down to the one, the one bat out of one tree. Like imagine that was the old way of doing things. And now they can like use the other parts of the tree that are left over and make another one. Oh, that's true. That's true. But I th- think technically it would be an ash tree, not an oak tree. Um, yeah. Interesting stuff. Well, so can we talk about the MacBook uh, mini or sorry, the MacBook mini, the Mac mini, which is also made out of aluminum. Yeah. Go for it. So, yeah. So uh, I started to allude towards the, the new, uh, the new feet, the new set the new information about the Mac Mini uh, six core six core quad core I'm not sure why they what the difference is um, apparently five times faster than the current Mac Minis that are out there up to 64 gigs of memory SO DIMMs using using SO DIMMs um, and then moving to all flash storage so just for the record I've got three I have two Mac Minis here in my house and they all run off they still run off uh, um, mechanical hard drives and the one Mac Mini I have is a server which came with one terabyte of space but it was actually made up of two five hundred uh, gigabyte um, Hitachi or Toshiba, Toshiba hard drives, both of which had died in the life of the, the server, like within a year or two of having it. So moving to SS, uh, SSD storage is great in that in my in that sense, right? This also has an Apple T2 chip, and I don't I don't know that we talked about that. I guess that's just for security, but or for the uh, secure enclave. But there's no Touch ID or whatever on this um, thing. What, I'm, am I missing something about why we'd have a T2 chip in the Mac Mini? No. I was hoping that you or Mark caught that because I wrote down the note T2 security chip and I remember being online with a whole bunch of coworkers and we were like oh my god maybe they're going to have like a wireless keyboard with touch ID and we got all excited about that and I completely missed if they said anything at all as to why that chip is there. Yeah no because that's exactly what I thought it, that alludes to the fact that there's a secure enclave there right because that's part of the T2 chip and and the, sto- the flash storage to store your, your, your information there right. Maybe it's about an unannounced product by me. Hmm. Yeah I was imagining something I really wanted and it didn't happen. I don't see anything in the specs about it here. Huh, interesting. Strange. So coming back to the storage, yeah, so up to 2 terabytes in this baby as opposed to 1.5 terabytes, which is cool. Um, HEVC, what was that for? HEVC? The video encoding. 30 oh, video times encoding. faster HEVC video encode. Okay, yeah, and 10 gigabit. Is it 10, sorry, 10, did they say 10 gigabit or 10 gigabyte Ethernet? Must have been gigabyte, right? I think it was gigabit, gigabit. is what I wrote. Yeah, if it's Ethernet, it's gigabit. No, because we've had a 1,000 gigabit for years, right? So a gigabit Ethernet is... Terabit Ethernet? I don't think so. No, no, no. <laughs> what, what I'm saying is that, that we've always said, when when it comes to networking speeds, we always talked about gigabits, not gigabytes, right? Because right? it's right. not, it's eight eight times less, right? Right. Um, but I just wonder why they, what, what, let's look at 
the spec. What does it say about that in the, on the page? Mac Mini. In my notes, that's on the same line as four Thunderbolt 3 ports, USB-A ports, 10 gigabit Ethernet. Yeah, interesting that it still has uh, USB-A ports. I think it's, uh, I mean, it's not like a MacBook, MacBook Air, MacBook Pro. There's there's room for ports on this yeah. thing because it's just going to be used as a server, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. build box, uh, rendering box, that sort of thing. Sure. We use it, yeah, we use it for build servers. We'd probably use it for build servers at the corporation there. Yeah, they had an opportunity to talk about Mac Stadium and their 8,000 Mac Minis that they have in their colo. Yeah, there's a few places like that. There's a couple of places like that in Toronto that have uh, Mac Mini hosting as well, where you can bring your own Mini or they'll they'll supply you a Mini as a server. Starting at $7.99 US, ordering today, which was yesterday uh, as of this recording, and available November 7th. Okay, so it says gigabit Ethernet, configurable to 10 gigabit Ethernet. Okay, yeah, so we went from 10 base T to 100 base T, so 1,000 base T is what we would call gigabit Ethernet. Right. So this is right, 10 right. times that, I guess, yeah. right? Yep. Right, so that's what it is. It's 10 times faster. So I think um, I may be mistaken, but I think a T1 or, or that kind of speed is uh, up to 10 gigabits. No, so, T1's not. That's pretty fast. T1's not that fast. Not that fast? No. Yeah. No. T1 is... No, but I knew I, this, I, I oh, maybe I'm thinking of fiber. T1 might fiber be 100, 100 base T, I think, which which is 100 megabit. I could be wrong, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty well, old I just, technology. I, Here, let's look it up. Oh, it shows here that it shows in the uh, in the Ethernet port configuration 10, 10 100,000 base T is what I just said, yeah. RJ45 connector. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, configurable... T1 is, T1 is one and a half megabit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not that fast. That's pretty... So it says here that to configurable up to 10 gigabit Ethernet and base T Ethernet support for 1 gig, 2.5 gigabit, 5 gigabit, and 10 gigabit Ethernet using RJ45 connectors. So, which is still faster than you're probably bringing network into your house. But I guess in, the, in your network, in your, in your in your environment, your enterprise would be still be pretty good, right? Yeah, well, in some places you can get gigabit fiber into your house. Mm-hmm. Possibly possibly 10 gigabit too, depending where you are. Yeah, you can get that in Toronto because I know I know I have a couple of people I know that have that yeah, in their For sure, their can't get that where I live, which is surprising. No? Here in Silicon Valley, the infrastructure is actually pretty antiquated. Really? Your house, yeah, yeah. Well, it's the beginning of the internet there, right? Isn't that where the internet started? Uh, it's one of the places. Yeah, the ARPA, ARPANET was at a bunch of different places. Uh, several of them were Several of them were in California. Yeah. So we have you HDMI. What? So we we talk, covered all the ports there, Jaime. It's got a headphone jack. Woohoo! <laughs> yes, that will be a, Does the a surprising topic. Headphone jack? Sorry. Does the MacBook Air have a headphone jack? Uh, I don't know. I Let's, have a look. Let's go back. Yeah. Back have a look. Learn more. Lightning strikes. Lightness strikes again. Oh, I read misread that. Yeah, I, I'm really tempted to buy one of these Mac Minis. Yeah. Uh, you know, right now I I have a my old laptop. I mean, it is is kind of. I, I never actually take it out of out of the house these days it's just plugged into uh my uh my old thunderbolt display with a with a keyboard and a and a trackpad and you know i i could i could just replace that with a mac mini i'm tempted to do that by the way just for those of you driving at home it does have a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack on the macbook air, MacBook air? okay yeah no, it's not comp- not dead yet yeah, yeah. And, and i do know what mark's talking about because i have a mac mini from 2012 i want to say was um, that your first but, mini yes and it was i think probably the lowest spec'd out model you could possibly get and it is slowly limped along this entire way mm. and its life now is largely just as a backup machine for yeah. my iOS devices as well as like an alternative method to get to Dropbox in like a everything has hit the fan and all my other primary devices are gone situation. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I use my I use my primary mini as, as a, I have my uh, Drobo connected to it and it's our house uh, uh, storage area network device, right? NAS, uh, yeah, NAS device, I guess is the word, network area storage device. 
Yeah. A lot of people throw Plex on there so they can view their uh, their multimedia mm. library. Right, yeah. Continuing with the recycling thing, they said 60% post-consumer recycled plastic and, again, 100% recycled aluminum, as, as Tim described it. Mm-hmm. Good on you. All right. Uh, what else did they announce at that, uh, their conference or um, event? Something, something well, they about had the a today at Apple. big iPod, something about that. What was that? <laughs> big new iPod, <laughs> iPod, yeah. They didn't mention the iPod. That's true. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, yeah, so John Turner from Apple came up and uh, talked about the iPad Pros with their new liquid retina display, which is the same display as is in the um, the uh, iPhone XR. It includes, you know, liquid retina, wide color, true tone, and um, what else is there in the iPads? Um, but interesting, though, they, they've gone to an 11-inch display because because they can make the, the, I guess, the form factor similar to the current 10-inch um, iPad, but with the new rounded corners and, and the no home button at the bottom uh, and, you know, thinner bezel as we all anticipated. And, of course, it's got the sensor area at the top, so it doesn't have to be a notch because it's got enough space in the bezel to, to house the True Tone camera and the, the other cameras that they need for the, the forward-facing cameras. Um, somebody did point out that the, the camera on the back of the iPad still sticks out a bit, um, which I think I guess it does on the on the existing models as well. Mine, both of mine are in a case, so I don't, don't notice that. Um, but the 11-inch and the 12.9-inch, there's not much difference in the size of them now, right? Because they've the 12.9 has come down a bit because of the smaller bezel, but um, and there's like $200 difference entry point for either one of them, right? So both of these devices now have uh, Face ID, and as Jaime likes to, would like to point out, 25% less volume in, in these things as they're now smaller. Uh, interesting that they have the A12X bionic chip, which I guess is a, a faster chip than is in the iPhones, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so on, the, on Apple's website, they show pictures of them side by side, the 11-inch and the 12.9. Yeah. And to my eye, the 12.9 is actually quite a bit bigger. Really? Even though the the you know the linear dimension is not that much bigger, but the area it's, it looks to me to be a lot bigger. Mm. Yeah, I imagine. And Tim, this would 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 probably be a really good analogy for you because you have both of these available to you, the 10s and the 10s Max. I thought, oh, that would be pretty similar, right? No, like that Max is way bigger. Like it, it doesn't seem like it's that much bigger on paper, but you see them side by side, like, oh yeah, you actually get quite a bit more screen real estate. Actually, no, I got my X my 10R. See, I almost said X again. I got my 10R um, at the office. I bought one of the, the red ones um, came in on Friday, so I should probably lay them down on the table and take a picture of them and see, see what, in fact, the difference in size is, right? It's definitely bigger than, a, than an iPhone 10 or iPhone 10s, the XR, right? Or 10R. 10R. There we go. Yeah, so, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I see what you mean. Like, I'm looking at some of these images on the, on the, the website here as well, but I don't know. I mean, there's there's one image here on the, on the I don't know if you're looking at the site with the iCloud picture. That doesn't look right. To, oh, no, that's a Mac behind there. Never mind. So where's a picture with the two really beside each other, like like on top of each other? Um, hold on, I have to find it again. Oh, the 10.5 iPad is still available, the 10.5 iPad Pro. So yeah, I think they're you, keeping if you things on the line. iPad Pro in the top bar, and then it's got this horizontal scroll view. Instead oh, yeah, yeah, of yeah. vertical scroll view. Yeah. Uh, on something like the fourth pane from the left. Yeah, no, I see, I see it now. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, it does look kind of considerably, considerably bigger. Hmm. But that doesn't make sense. 11 inch diagonal versus 12.9. Well, I guess that's almost two inches um, bigger on the diagonal, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of millimeters. Lots of millimeters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, it's funny because I, I like the size of the, the, the 12. Although I like, I keep saying the mine keeps trying, keeps trying to dive off the the pouch or the the uh, foot stool I have here. But um, it, it's almost too big. It's too big to transport around, you know, from place to place. It's great if you're using it in a studio or something like that. I find, you know, mm-hmm. it's smaller than my. Again, it's a 
the same size as my MacBook Air, so you know I can either take my MacBook Air and my carry bag or my iPad. It doesn't run Xcode though, so that's always it. That's the most disappointing thing about the iPod, iPad, iPad Pros. Um, but again, eight core CPU. Oh, so this is seven nanometer technology in that A12X. I wanted to ask. So we talked about that a couple of weeks ago when Mark wasn't around, and that's pretty pretty small, right? Pretty tiny. Yeah, it's pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. So ten billion transistors with a B. That's a lot of transistors. Yeah. So eight core CPU, thirty five percent faster than something i guess the current one single core single core boost and they said 90 percent boost over multi-core oh yeah okay right yeah that's what it was yeah 35 percent mm. faster over a single core so so it would depend if the app is written to use take advantage of multi-threading is that correct Pre- presumably yes. yeah if you've got a, an app that that doesn't care about cores then it's not going to help you more than what did i say 35 percent mm, right yeah, yeah yeah and then neural engine that's part of the, the same chip as well i thought it was part of bionic and they were using that as part of um face id for example, the all orientation yeah. face ID, as well as um, all the machine learning goodness that they threw into this year's phones. One terabyte storage. Let's not forget that. And they went really wild and said that uh, they said it's a uh, Xbox One S, as in Sally, perf uh, performance in a 94% smaller body, which is an interesting comparison to make. But yeah, it will be uh, a pretty decent games machine when it comes to 3D. So Xbox One, what did you say, One X? Is that the... No, no, the X is the, the top of the line. So that's why I said so, S, okay, as in Sally, yeah, because was... S and X sound very similar. And it was wildly dumb for Microsoft to give two devices a very, very similar name. At least, so, you know, 10S and 10R are very hard to confuse. Right, right. You know, phonetically, at least. So you're saying that they're comparing it to the top of the line Xbox? No, um, the Xbox One came out, I can't even remember how many years ago it was, and then they came out with a uh, sort of a, a mid-cycle upgrade called the the One S, and then the full-cycle upgrade, the X has like 4K rendering and probably HDR and like whatever your top-of-the-line multimedia system can handle, a competitor to the PlayStation 4 Pro as a comparison. Yeah, but still, quite, I mean, like, the, the, it's a freaking iPad. Like, think about how small these things and thin these things are to have like an Xbox whatever power that you can carry around with you on the subway is amazing right right cool and the um the so uh, again coming with 128 i think 128 uh sorry 64 gigabytes wow that would be a waste of time i hate to say uh 64 gigabytes 256 512 and of course a terabyte of of uh, storage space which is why do you say 64 gigs would be a waste of time i'm just curious um because yeah i mean i i have more stuff i i mean i had to get when i had a 64 gigabyte phone i was constantly running out of space on my phone really right yeah what What do you put yeah I don't know. Lots of stuff. Sure. Ones and zeros. I was, um, <laughs> you know, when I when I saw the, those numbers, I, I checked my current iPad to see how much space yeah. I'm using. And it was a 64 gig. And, uh, you know, I only use about 30 gigs of it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know that I would. Well, I think I think for, to be honest with you, I think, yeah, I, I know a lot of people who are happy with 64 gig. Um, but for me, it's it's never been enough. Um, hmm. And, you know, it's kind of funny, like just, just over time, I have more and more photos and more and more videos. Videos and you know, um, I guess it depends on how you use your devices. But let me just where's the, the page? Well, yeah, what here? I what I do is I keep all that stuff on my laptop, and if I you know I, I will transfer stuff over temporarily if I want to watch it on the iPad, but but then yeah. I delete it after typically. Yeah, and f- but for me, you know, I think I would probably um, I would probably move to um, uh, an iPad if if it ran Xcode, I probably would would you know be working on that more than I would a Mac, right? So if it ran Xcode, like, it would be a very very different story for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so where's the storage thing on 
Oh, is it about? Un, where's it? Use, where's the usage thing on your phone? I just want to look at my phone right now to tell you how much I have on it. iPhone storage. Here we go. So yeah, so on my iPhone right now, my iPhone 10, I have 65.5 gigabytes of storage already on mm. it, right? Of 256, right? So um, yeah, and you know, I was all, and I'm always looking for space on my on my current hard drive, like my my, my Air for like the last two years. I've been since we've been doing podcasting, and I keep all, keep all the storage stuff here. I constantly have to throw stuff out because I constantly running out of room. I've got 38 meg, 38 gigabytes of space on my drive right now and it's 512 and yeah you know the culprits are like xcode and you know a lot of stuff in my library and things like that right so short of erasing the drive and just reinstalling from scratch i, I can't figure out any other way to get rid of all that extra space that i don't even know what I'm, what's on there you know yeah yeah on my on my iphone i have 64 gigs of 256 gigs oh now it says 71 gigs i guess it yeah. did the math again 20 gigs of that is music on my phone uh and looking at the little colored bar it looks like more of my space is uh uh, is apps than media so i'm guessing yeah same with mine yeah 40 gigs of apps roughly so mine, mine says 71 gigabyte and i would say probably a little bit more than 50 percent of the biggest thing is is uh, apps the other the other chunk that's used up here is other so i guess that would be documents and things like that right that are in various apps you know it adds up, mm-hmm. adds yeah. up like, anyway. i i think i was getting relatively close on my phone or my ipad i can't remember which and then i ended up buying like the middle tier whatever year came out for both of those mm-hmm. but subsequently i lost a whole bunch of apps to the 32 to 64 bit mm. um, transition so i think that reclaimed a lot of space just there um, right. which i guess i have more space to fill up now but uh, 64 gigs doesn't sound unreasonable for my particular use case mm-hmm. but i could see that if you've got you know tons of games tons of apps um if you're keeping photos and videos locally and not saying hey icloud go ahead and delete locally if you want in order to uh, make local space and then save it all in the cloud uh, so i could would see you, where that might be a problem would you guys either ever consider going to a one terabyte or even a five 12 for a ipad yeah i i can't see myself getting one terabyte yeah i mean i have 256 on mine and i think and i'm fine on that one on the ipad itself i think the phone is a different story for me because i use my phone all the time yeah um yeah but yeah. i want to move on to the next thing which is which is kind of important uh, we, we didn't talk about stereo sound but both the mac the new um macbook air and and the ipads have improved stereo sound and and kind of cool features and we should probably talk about the face id on it as well but but USB-C is what i want to talk about um so no lightning connector right and uh so what you get in the box is um a charger a usb a charging cable not a data cable and, a, and an ipad right so no headphones and of course you you have to buy a dongle to, to use a standard headphone jack like uh, a USB-C to 30 uh, 3.5 millimeter uh, microphone jack mini phone jack so what do you think about the uh, USB-C I think Mark you were looking forward to that well in general or? like USB-C uh, it's uh, you know I, I have it now on my on my uh, work laptop and and it's good you know it's it, once you get over the dongle issue it's 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 no big deal uh, I'm a little I was a little bit surprised that they went with the the headphone jack decision uh, considering that USB-C to headphones is has always been so far has been a little bit dicey you know, it's it seems like that. You know, some it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, depending on the hardware. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I haven't done it myself, but but that's what I've heard. Uh, and especially after all the controversy and w- when they got rid of the, the headphone jack on the phone, and and you have to have the you know the lightning to headphone adapter. And now now you have to have a USB C to headphone adapter, and I guess.
this Apple selling one. It just seems like that's a little bit of controversy. Uh, on the other hand, they went all in with getting rid of the headphone jack on the phone. So if they didn't do that on the iPad, it, it might look like they were going backwards. So maybe they felt right, right. that it was a no-brainer. There was just not even any any consideration of putting a headphone jack there. It is a little surprising that they're not including one of the adapters with the iPad like they did with the iPhone. A little surprised by that. Well, they've, n- they've never had headphone. Rene Perucci pointed out they've never had um, headphones. Shipping with the supply. iPad. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So that may be why, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, but again, they had sort of moved towards lightning connector um, headphones, right? So you know, I guess it's kind of weird that there's no USB-C headphone. I guess I guess it's kind of kind of a dumb. Is there such a thing? Do you know which USB headphones? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. They exist. Yeah. yeah. Oh, with, but without a dongle of it. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And Apple is selling a dongle, so they must they must have yeah. something must be working, right? Or so. or maybe the assumption is that that people are going to just use air earbuds or not. What are they called? AirPods. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know, yeah. I don't ask me. <laughs> Airbud is the dog. Is the dog yeah. Place yeah. <laughs> One's um, a cereal. But, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. So let's talk about the positives of USB-C. So uh, you have access to 5K data, uh, displays and uh, access out to data accessories that, that pros are definitely going to want on the iPad Pro. You also can charge out from that USB-C over to your iPhone. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. That's you, true. Will need, you will need USB-C to lightning to, to do that. Um, so let's talk about the negative because it's kind of paired up with that. It's sort of weird that this year's iPhones didn't switch over to USB-C, and I kind of wonder yeah, if they'll yeah. ever switch over to USB-C, you know, to keep a, a singular port for everything. Maybe, really? maybe it's too soon. I don't know. Maybe maybe next year's iPhone 11 will do it, but who knows? Yeah, I don't know. It, it kind of makes sense because, I mean, Android's already moved over to USB-C, right? Like, there are Android phones out there with them because I, I, I see people with them all the time, right? Because they come, they come borrow cables from me because I have USB-C on my Macs, right? Right, right. Yeah. They're they're making the switch. Um, and I also have to imagine that there'll be more pressure from the European Union, who's been really hot and bothered about having a singular um, singular charging standard for phones. They want it? They don't want it. They they want it, and Apple's been getting around it by including whatever adapter it is that's necessary for um, for making that possible um, on phones sold within the EU. But I think this would finally solve the issue for them if they were to go with USB-C, because then everybody would, would have that. Well, of course, we're going to sure. have wireless charging any day now, that... Uh, <laughs> Right. Well, can't you charge your watch on the new iPad as well with the wireless charging at the top? Um, so yeah, there's two things to talk about on, on the iPad Pro, which we haven't talked about yet, is one is Face ID. And what I think is really cool about Face ID in this case is, and it has, comes back to the very first um, iPad itself, is that the iPad never really has uh, any kind of orientation that's dictated, right? It's it's always been whatever way you're looking at it. It's always, I forgot the terminology they used the other day, but it's always upside, the right side's always up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no matter which way you're holding it. And so that even when you're laying it flat on the table, it was always sort of, it always kind of chooses one of the four orientations, right? Um, but what's cool about this, and my biggest complaint about the, the face ID, which I've mentioned before on the phones, is that you have to hold the phone in portrait mode with the touch with the touch sensor in, in up, up, right? Um, whereas they've made, they figured out the how to make the iPad Pro w- use face ID in any or- orientation, right? Did you guys catch 
catch that? I didn't catch that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I wrote down the note that it was all orientation face ID. Yeah. Which is cool. So, so if you're holding it, if you're holding it landscape, which is what I tend to do most of the time with my iPads, or you're holding it in portrait mode, um, which I rarely, rarely ever do on the 12 inch because it's so big. Um, Instagram, I hope you're listening. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's cool that, that you can use it in any orientation. So they figured that out. Hopefully that will come to the phones either in a software upgrade or, or at some point in the future, right? So that's cool. I right? would wager there has to be like a power trade-off for that. Um, and I, I think the iPad can make that trade-off because it's got a gigantic battery by comparison to the phone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I bet for the phone, it's like, well, people really don't use their phone in landscape as often as they do with iPad. And if you're going to unlock, it's like unlock, go to an app. Okay, now I'm a Netflix, turn my phone horizontally. Well, you've you've already unlocked the phone, so you don't really need uh, to have Face ID for that sort of thing, given that the trade-off is, well, in order to look at all these different combinations at which your face might be oriented from the camera sensor um, and running it through the bionic chip to do the processing of like, is this the right person or not? It, it probably wasn't the right trade-off to make for iPhone. But having said that, time solves that problem with CPU and GPU and other bits of power management. And I wouldn't be surprised if next year's iPhone could do it in all orientations. So I'll give you give you another another counter to that. And, and that's the fact that uh, Apple actually makes a keyboard for the iPad Pro, which where it's in landscape mode, right? So they probably had to come up with a way to do face ID, face ID in landscape in that sense, right? Because you're going to be using it like a laptop, if you will, if you're going to use the keyboard, right? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then another piece here is, which is, of course, now that the iPad's been, iPad Pro has been rejigged with the face ID and all that kind of stuff, they've come out with a new pencil, which includes gestures. Um, I'm not sure if it's just, just tapping, just a tap gesture on the side where you can make choices, you know, just tapping the side of the pencil just from switching to switch from like say uh, using a pen to using an eraser mode um, and I think that's something that we'll have to build into apps that we ourselves write I think the current notes app is the one they, they demonstrated that with Apple's no, Apple's own notes app um, and it doesn't no longer has a ridiculous uh, popsicle stick uh, lollipop style charging where you, you pop the end of the Apple pencil off and jam it into the lightning port on the end um, this in this case here it's a magnetic connector that you just plug it into or you just put it on top of the iPad and it wirelessly charges the the it wirelessly connects and wirelessly uh, sorry pairs wirelessly pairs and wirelessly starts charging the iPad iPad pencil which is cool um, plus it also gives you somewhere to carry the iPad pencil which is or sorry the Apple pencil which hasn't always been a problem um, so what do you think about the pencil the new the new jiggy on the pencil I mean to me it seemed pretty cool but I was very bummed that there is neither backwards compatibility nor forwards compatibility when it comes to these pencils so you can't use the new pencil old pencil with this device and you can't use this pencil with the old devices is what you mean so i'm sure i'm hoping that i have this somehow incorrect in some nuanced way and i'll talk about what those ways are um, but so far, it seems like um, the new pencil will not work with the old iPads and the old pencil will not work with the new iPads. However, it's it's not been clear to me as it's been reported as to what they mean by works, because obviously they can't charge each other the same way. Like you mentioned, the lollipop right. <laughs> yeah. won't, won't be able to jam in because there's no lightning port on the on the new iPad. OK, that makes sense. So it can't charge up. All right, whatever. And then likewise, the new one needs wireless charging, which isn't available on the old iPads. OK, I get that. So neither one of 
can charge that way. I feel like there are alternatives to charging that pencil, like throwing it on top of uh, like my Apple Watch, you know, recharging dock or something. Um, what's unclear to me is maybe there's a little bit of glimmer of hope that, that you can actually pair and use the new pencil with the old iPads, but I'm not holding out a lot of hope. That's like the only like sliver of hope I could imagine. Well, I jumped over to the Apple Pencil page while you're, while you're first of all, it's not called Apple Pencil 2, it's just called Apple Pencil and then in brackets, second generation. Um, only works with the third generation iPad Pros. And uh, so they specifically talk about the automatic pairing, wireless charging and magnetic storage, double tap to switch tools, tap to wake and free engraving or uh, the, um, the, the other app, the old Apple, the, you know, the first generation Apple Pencil only works with iPad Pro 12.9 inch first and second gens, the iPad Pro 10.5 inch and the iPad Pro 9.7 inch and this iPad 6th generation. I guess it's the, the education iPad we're calling that one, right? Um, and lightning pairing and charging. Yeah, so there definitely there definitely is a line drawn in the sand between these two pencils, right? And they, they look very similar too. Hmm. Well, I was looking to buy a pencil and was holding off to see about the event and now I'm like, yeah. well, I'm not going to buy a new iPad just so I can use a pencil. So right. hopefully there'll be a discount on the first gen pencils. So have you, so you have an iPad Pro now? You do, right? I do, the 10.5 inch. But you never bought a pencil, right? Never bought a pencil. Now I'm like, mm, I would like to draw some more diagrams and stuff that it's not satisfying using, not satisfying oh. to use touch for. I want a little bit more dexterity. Um, so I might end up picking up a, an, an older or first gen pencil for that. So the Apple Pencil now has its own little uh, tab on the Apple website too, which is kind of cool. Um, so yeah, and uh, let's see, compare pricing. New one is in Canadian dollars. Right. I think it was 129 US. 169 what? What? And the old one is 129. So what? Yeah. So the old pencil was 129 Canadian, I think, which is 99 US, I think. Right? Is that the Canadian? I, I US think so. Price? Yeah. yeah. But this one is definitely uh, looks like it's uh, 40 dollars more, right? The new one is 129 US. Oh, 29. Okay. Yeah. And how much is the old one? 99. Uh, let me check. 99. Yeah. So it's 20 dollars more expense. 20 dollars more in the US, and it's 40 dollars more in Canada. Tell me, there's not a problem with our trade barriers? Because <laughs> the uh, I don't, does the math work? on the exchange rate? I don't think so. I don't even... What is the exchange rate these days? I don't even know. I don't know. It's like 75 cents or something like that on the dollar. They do look different too because, I mean, the new pencil is like pretty much all plastic. The old one has that sort of um, metal band. And which is cool if you pull the metal band off and in very small type, each each uh, Apple pencil has a serial number. So the, I guess the new pencil must have a serial number engraved in it somewhere, which is cool. Yeah, so that's kind of kind of interesting. We'll have to see what... I mean, like... So now we have three styli for, um, for the various iPad Pros or iPads, right? Because we have the, 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 um, What's the other one? Uh, the crayon one. Who makes that one? Logitech, I think. Logitech, yeah. Logitech crayon, and yeah, yeah. It's funny, you know. Logitech used to make the mice back in the old days. You know, the Apple mice. They used to, they used to be like the OEM manufacturer for them. I wonder who really makes the pencils. <laughs> Where do they get the phoenix feathers from? Hmm. All right. So what else? So we. So yeah. I guess the last couple of things we can talk about from the event is that they demonstrated. Uh, for me, the most exciting thing was seeing Photoshop for real on on the device. Adobe came out and demonstrated that, and you guys were impressed by the the sport thing. The, um, the NBA 2K. 2K. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. So 2K is the name of the company as well, right? 2K Games, yes. 2K Games, yeah. So and how do they compare with EA? Just a competitor kind of thing? Or? You guys I'd have to look to see the history to see if it's the same 2K Games, but way back in the day, yes. A strong competitor to EA with its, let's say, like its Madden series, right? Uh, NBA Live and stuff. They had you know NBA 2K, uh, NFL 2K and other things. And then licensing got crazy. EA got mega huge. And I'm, I'm not 
actually certain that 2K Games that just showed NBA 2K is literally the same company or not, or if it was like via acquisition and, and mergers and stuff that have occurred in the game industry. Yeah, I almost heard, uh, heard that as murders. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it might as well be. <laughs> I don't know if you saw what happened to Telltale Games and they went out of business uh, rather dramatically and catastrophically. Really? Um, oh, okay. So yeah, according to Wikipedia, 2K's ga- 2K Games Incorporated, referred to as 2K, is an American video game publisher from Novato, California. Hmm. Yeah. North of San Francisco. North of San Francisco. North Bay. Yeah, so history is it uh, started in 2005. Take-Two Interactive acquired visual concepts and Kush games, uh, as well as intellectual property from the 2K sports game series from Sega, I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Oh, NCAA 2K, I think, was another one of their games, a football game in college football. So 2K came out of Sega initially? I didn't know that, but they, they were pretty big on, like, the Dreamcast. They had a lot of their their titles there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i thought they were third party maybe they were like second party where they're they're owned by somebody like a sega but are somewhat of an independent kind of very similar to the way that naughty dog was owned by sony for a very long time it might actually still be i'm not sure but in wikipedia in 2005 take two interactive acquired the ip of the 2k sports game series from sega yeah that's what i was reading yeah okay yeah cool so you guys were impressed by the the rendering of the crowd i did notice that right at the beginning um as well as the, the gameplay, I mean, I don't know much about basketball gameplay, but uh, and and the beads of sweat on the gentleman's face that they they showed. Do they do they rent? Do they like um, uh, motion capture all the players in the NBA for these things, or how does that work? Do you know? Hmm, maybe at least like the stars. Oh, okay. So like like a Steph Curry has a very particular look, which is going to be different than like you know LeBron James or something. But you know, starter number five on uh, pick a team like the Milwaukee Bucks probably doesn't get mo-capped. Right. Right. They probably choose like the superstars and then somebody who like represents the other ones. With, with basketball, there's not that many players. They could do it. It's only 10 per team. You know, there's what, 25 teams, 28 teams, maybe something like that. It's possible. That 300 players roughly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly more feasible than it would be for like football where each team oh. has 53 players. Right, right, right. 53 players on a football team? Yeah, for the full roster. Wow. Crazy, man. There's only 22 on a hockey player, hockey team. <laughs> there's 22 on a hockey team? Something like that, yeah. Seems like a lot. Yeah, it's usually four lines, two goalies, you know, and then um, I guess uh, three three or four pairs of defensemen. So Even a baseball team only team. has 25. Baseball team only needs 25. <laughs> it's also weird because the minor league teams, they can just like bring people up and down depending. And so they, they have a broader team to, to pull from. Wow. Well, that reminds me, there's a fact check for this week's episode. I said I said in my tweet, I said, Reg, congratulations to the Reg Sox, but I spelt it S-O-C-K-S. Oh, you did? But Greg pointed out that it's S-O-X. It is. So, well, you know, S-O-X. Yeah, so there's Your world checker. champion Red Sox yes. as a follow-up yeah. to uh, several weeks' worth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Congrats to Mark and the people of Boston. Thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> for surviving the ungodly game getting back to the ipad pro like so what do you th- what did you think about what you saw in terms of that demo with the 2k game with the 2k nba i was pretty blown away i mean i'm definitely gonna buy one of these oh yeah without a doubt yes so, and that's a new game that's only is that exclusive for just come out for this this announcement oh i don't know about that you know? uh, i don't i'm not saying i'll buy the game i'm saying i'm buying the ipad no no i get it yeah, yeah. yeah. but that was impre- impressive enough demo for you right well i was gonna buy it anyway but uh, but the demo blew me pretty much blew me away photoshop was pretty cool too but uh you know i'm not really a heavy photoshop user mm-hmm. not so much a heavy gamer either but but just the, those two demos the power that it showed on this thing i've been in the market for a new ipad for a while now i've 
talked about this. And right. This right. is the one I've been waiting for. So I'm definitely going to buy it. And Jaime, you have a 10 inch right now? Yeah. My, I was similarly impressed with this iPad Pro. My current iPad Pro is new enough that I'm looking at $799 and $999 US for the 11 inch and 12.9 inch starting prices, respectively. I don't think I'm going to make the upgrade, but it does have me excited for next year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with, with, as far as Photoshop goes, is, is uh, I'm no longer a power user, Photoshop, power user, Photoshop user, but I, I used to play one on a podcast. I used to be a pretty powerful Photoshop guy, like from version 1.0 all the way through. And I use it regularly once a week, at least, and try out different things. So it, it'll remain to be seen what the transition from using keyboard and keystrokes and stuff like that to using a pencil and uh, uh, the app. Um, I'll probably have to bite the bullet and somehow get it because, you know, like I said, I'm a big Photoshop user, right? So um, it'll be interesting to see. Like, I, I was impressed by the video where they, they talked to the various designers. Um, did they show that in the video or did I see that on the video from last week where they talked to the designers about the designers at Adobe about using uh, using the, the Photoshop app itself? Did you guys see that? I don't think that was in the keynote. So it might have been in the video that, that I think Jaime linked last week, right? Mm. Or, or was linked for, by Fouad. Fouad was the one who, who pointed that out to me uh, on Slack. But um, yeah, so I, I, I'll, I'll definitely take it out of spin for a spin if, uh, however, Adobe makes it available to us initially. Maybe they'll give us a trial or something, but that's uh, definitely pretty cool. So I don't know if it, it demonstrates necessarily the, the power of this particular uh, version of iteration of iPad Pro. Um, you know, I mean, like, will it be slow and clunky on my, my original series or first generation iPad Pro? Who knows? You know, until we get into it and try it out. But I mean, generally speaking, the speed of the iPad Pro, you know, I, I've never found anything particularly laggy about it at all, right? So even drawing on it, I've never noticed, you know, I know there is a lag and because I remember that was one of the criticisms when we first saw the demos in the, in the keynotes of the pencil, but um, it is pretty quick, you know, and I've been using, I've been playing around with that um, Luna display as well on my iPad Pro. Um, mm-hmm. My one complaint, I still, please make the uh, iPad Pro keyboard come up natively so we can u- at least use that if we don't have a hardware keyboard to use, right? Because that kind of, you know, having a keyboard on an iPad kind of defeats the whole point of having a tablet, in my opinion, you know? Anyway, because um, I'm not going to sit with a, a keyboard on my lap and, you know, use my iPad Pro sitting on the couch. It kind of seems, defeats the purpose. But anyway, yeah, but so I, I'm I'm probably not going to buy, uh, what's, I shouldn't say that. I probably, if I buy one, I'll probably buy the 11-inch one this time around, and I won't get a cellular one because I don't need that anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I, the 12.9 is, is nice, but I don't think I use it enough to warrant having that much that much space. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the Apple Take Back plan, um, I don't know what I'm going to do with my 12.9 inch, but the Apple Take Back plan doesn't offer, it offers probably about two or $300 less than what it would be worth on the street if I sold it privately. So I don't know if I would if I would trade it in to get the, the new device. Because I mean, by the time you add on the cases and the keyboards and whatever and the pencil, you know, and, and if you get, if you're like me and you get Apple Care, you're going to be spending, you know, close to a couple of grand worth of uh, dollars to get uh, fully suited out with an iPad Pro, especially 12.9 inch. Because I'd probably want to get a 256 model, you know, at least, which is like, you know, not the entry level, right? All right. Maybe they should do a iPad upgrade program. You just yeah. have it every year. And just get <laughs> well, it every year. Yeah. To make the new ones. Yeah. At Apple. Yeah. Where are they going to get the aluminum from? You have to kill all the old uh, original series iPads that are no longer usable because you can't upgrade them to iOS 9 or whatever. Um, cool. All right. Well, I guess that sums up the, the, the events. Anything else you guys want to say about it? It ended really weird. Yeah. You know, I, I, I we didn't watch the end because we had to move to another meeting. So how did it end? So they had, so, so Tim wraps up with like, hey, iOS 12.1 is out, has eSIM capability, don't use that on Verizon because apparently it slows it down for reasons that are almost certainly, in my opinion, related to Verizon. And uh, group FaceTime is available. 
available. Uh, also, uh, as of this writing or recording, don't upgrade your watch if it's even available to 5.1. They had to pull yeah. it because it was breaking watches, so be careful of that. Um, but the thing I'm talking about is actually they brought out special uh, performance artist uh, Lionel Del Rey. Um, and, you know, you would think you would normally have like some really, really upbeat, powerful music that's like just gets you jazzed. And this was more like sad. Like you feel kind of depressed after it's a very beautiful uh, set of songs that she did, but I just didn't feel like it was the energy to the ending of the of the event as you would normally expect. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry I missed that. But was, was it the finger touching experience from the YouTube performance? <laughs> no, I was. When they said, oh, we're going to have a special music. Oh, please make it Bono. Please make it Bono again. <laughs> Really? Well, he is their favorite. Um, although I saw Tony Bennett once at a, at a keynote, which was kind of cool, you know, at the end of the keynote. Um, all right. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to our picks then, I guess, as my question to you. Uh, Jaime, you have a, uh, a pick for us? I do. Apple has come out with more of these uh, Tech Talk WWDC style videos. Uh, the one I've linked here in the show notes for those of you driving home is session 804, Designing for iPad Pro and Apple Pencil. It's about, uh, let's say, nine-ish minutes, resources and everything available. Have you watched you it yet? How to do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have not watched it yet, no. Oh, so I watched it this morning. And then, I, then of course, I also, the one I want to bring to the table is uh, the same, under the same thing is is uh, bringing your, your apps to iPad Pro, which is basically, it talks about, uh, updating your existing applications to take advantage of things like uh, safe area because now you have the same sort of considerations or a couple of other considerations that you do with the transitioning to the iPhone 10 10s and 10 and 10 R uh, formats uh, in this case you have rounded corners in the uh, on the iPad pro so if you have any assets in the corner you may want to move them out from there um, if you've been following along uh, like like a good Apple doobie and been using um, safe area in your layouts you you should not have a problem. There is an interesting thing. I don't know which video of the two videos I talked about, but there's a thing called, yeah, it must have been in the, in the bringing one. There's a new compatibility mode that they've made in these iPad Pros where um, if you have if you haven't updated your app, they, they, it will run this special compatibility mode where it kind of shrinks it down just a touch, right? It doesn't quite have black bars like it does on the, on the phones, but uh, or I, I, don't quote me on that. Your, your mileage may vary, but um, it kind of squishes it down. But the one caveat about that is if you if you're um, if you run uh, in, in multi multi mode or multi pane mode where you have two apps side by side and one if, if both apps are updated with, with safe area then the then you know it'll fill out and it'll be it'll go to a full screen mode and you'll get nice you know you'll get nice size table views and collection views or whatever what have you but if one of the apps is not uh, is running in compatibility mode both applications will run in in, in compatibility mode in this special compatibility mode so you may get some negative feedback from users if you're like if you open up maps and then you open up your lame old app which hasn't been updated yet you'll get a little bit of developer shaming in the form of like uh who knows bad reviews or whatever what have you because it'll be obvious that your your app is is uh changing the experience and i don't know if that necessarily translates to the end users you know what i mean like in terms of perception um but uh so that's another reason why to to make sure that your your designs are are set up that way and they did give a couple of dimensions like for instance the home Space, the home area at the bottom, I forget what we call it, is, is basically 20 pixels in both portrait and landscape mode. And again, to take advantage of that, just, you know, simply add a uh, safe area to your to your layouts. And if I'm not mistaken, I think we were able to add safe area to, because um, I think we've had it in um, Xcode 9.2, and I can't remember if we had
had it in 8. Do you guys remember Xcode 8? But I would think that if you add it to, if you're still working, whatever version of Xcode you're working in, if you add safe area, it'll still apply in, on in, in the newer devices, right? I don't think it was um, there in Xcode 8 because it came with the X, with the iPhone 10, which was last year. Oh, okay. So it would have been Xcode. 9, right? So flavor of 9. By the way, just a little, little interesting thing that I discovered at work was, uh, and I think we have a lot of, we support a lot of different, we're a bank, you know, we're not, we're not making NBA games or we're not making, um, you know, the, the next great graphic experience. We're talking about managing your money or whatever, right? Um, so we support, you know, older phones and older devices. And so we have older builds of Xcode. And what we discovered was, and this is a sort of a side note here, that the new phones, the, the 10 at 10S, the 10S Max and the 10R will not, you cannot build to them in Xcode 9. And no matter what you do, because they have a different, they have a new set of, um, I forget what you call it. They're basically ARM 64E, whereas the older devices were ARM 64. And Xcode 9 just doesn't even know about, like you used to be able to take the, you know, the, the iPhone phone support files from one version of Xcode and put them into the into your older version and it would recognize the device and so on and so forth. But because these require this new, uh, I don't know what the E stands for, but the ARM 64E uh, Xcode 9 knows nothing about it and so you, it, you get basically incompatible hardware when you try and build to it. So as a warning. And it tells you to just add, this, add those uh, support files but, but even if you add them, it doesn't recognize it. So it's kind of like Apple is sort of, I don't know if it's Apple forcing us or just that new, this is a sort of an undocumented thing that we kind of figured out through some bug- debugging. I was actually talking to Derek Slander about this uh, on Rayburn Lake about uh, possibly why I wasn't able to build to, to the new phones with the older Xcodes, right? So, and I would assume that would apply to these new uh, iPad Pros as well. But just something to sort of keep an eye on if you're if you're in the same boat that I'm in. So you have, like, in, in other words, we have to build with, with uh, uh, iOS 12 uh, on... Um, but it's always been that way, right? Where you, you can't, you can't ever install to a later version. No, no. I'm talking about, I'm talking about like... Uh, uh, like when the iPhone 10 came out, we were able to go into, we were able to download t- Xcode 10 and go into the support files and grab the, you know, the, the, I forget what you call it, the iPhone support files for the 10, like the, or whatever, whatever version of iOS it is, right? And it's usually got like a, a bracket with a build number at the end of it. Right. Uh, and you can grab those and throw them into the device. I, I, I'll probably quote it off the top of my head, but there's like a device support uh, file inside of Xcode. Oh, I see. If you put them in there, then it would, it would work. And so you can go grab till the cows come home, you can grab 12.1 or 12.0 um, device support files and put them into an older version of Xcode because these new devices use a new um, ARM64 architecture, ARM64E architecture. Um, Xcode 9 has no support for that, so it doesn't work, right? In this particular case. I've not seen that before where, where you, you've not been able to sort of ha- add a little bit of backward compatible, forward compatibility, I don't know what you call it, backward, forward, whatever, um, to an older version of Xcode. You've never done, never had to do that before, you guys i've never done that no no i've never done it either but it does make sense how you were doing it before yeah so it's just it's just it's just that this these new devices we kind of figured out that's what the problem was um if anybody knows the way around that you let me know it'd be great to know uh it won't, it won't matter like in, in about a week or so we'll be we'll be all working in the new latest version of xcodes um yeah so that's my, anyway my pick for, uh, for uh the ipad pro is the is the modifying your existing apps to work with ipad pro uh, my my second pick here is and this comes from james Thompson, who pointed this out, um, I happen to run uh, a couple of apps that uh, use multiple targets in one, like we use one code base and we have multiple targets. And one of the things I like to do is I, I like to sort of keep the version numbers in parity with each other. So they're always the same and that kind of stuff. And, in, and it's particularly important if you have sticker packs in your apps, because when you go to release them, you have to make sure that the sticker pack has the same version number 
number and build number as the release of your app that supports those stickers, right? Also, watch app, you have to do the same thing. Oh, okay, yeah. And so what uh, what uh, James has pointed out here is that there's a, um, uh, I don't know what you call a built-in profile, or I don't know what you call these um, conventions here in uh, for version number. There's, um, uh, and I'll put a screenshot in the, or I'll add a link to the show notes. Uh, basically shared underscore version underscore number in curly braces with a dollar sign in front of it. I know what you call that, like a template name or a placeholder name. The shared version number and shared build number will make sure that your targets all use the same uh, build numbers and version numbers. I don't know if you guys knew about that. Well, uh, he's, he's defining a user-defined one. Is he? Those are user-defined values, yeah. No, no, no. Double-click on the on the image and you'll see what he's doing. On the image. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's handy. Yeah, I was going to say because I wondered where you, where you put the value in for whatever build number you have and version number. Yeah, but this is just a cool way of, of handling that particular thing rather than yeah. making sure that, like, I manually go through and put them in, right? Yeah, yeah. you can do that with any variable you want in build settings. Oh, really? Yeah, you can always define a user-defined build setting and use it in elsewhere in Xcode. No, not cool. But you can't, so not just you can't do that in Interface this. Builder, unfortunately. All right. But oh. most of the build-related places you can. Oh, all right, so that's user-defined variable or yep. whatever you call it. <laughs> build Good to know. Anyway, I didn't know yeah. it was a hot tip for me this week, so... I haven't had a chance to use it yet, but that that does make uh, make life simpler in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week. So, hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you under interwebs, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with a Hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at Smapsoft.com. All right. And my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is the best way to get a hold of me. So until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. 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 This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find out details on how to help us out on the website, mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Now stick around for the after show, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Stuff. Oh, what else is going on? Baseball season is over. Baseball season is over. Yeah, everybody's golfing now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Golf, we're all golfing. Golf season. Well, mind you, the Raptors are just started. So the basketball just started, and hockey's a few weeks in, and it just continues. Yeah. I'm sure the Canadian playoffs are starting soon. Canadian Football League, Major League Soccer is heading towards its playoffs. Are just about to start? I think. Really? Mm-hmm. Cool. Of course, I won't be here next week because uh, I'm going to the Generation X concert. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't we hear? And I'm making progress with Rocksmith. That's another thing we followed up on. Did we talk about that last week? Yeah, we did. Yeah. I've been I've been learning a few more things about it and picking up my bass and learning things about bass that I didn't know with the Rocksmith. Have you looked have you looked at it at all, the Rocksmith uh, Mark? No, no. I should check. Yeah, some people I mean people run it on their Macs, they run it on their Playstations or whatever. So I don't have a Playstation. No. Well, I mean the one thing about it is there's it does seem to have some lag, but it could be because I'm running my audio through the HDMI, not through like taking it out of the back of the Playstation into an uh, like a analog device, right? 
right? Mm-hmm. Which is what they'd recommend. So I, I would assume there wouldn't be any lag on a, a PC or a Mac, but I don't know for sure. Maybe coming down with the flu. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm starting to feel that kind of, you know, headache, weird body. Yeah, the sort of achy, achy bits yeah. and pieces. I had a flu shot. Do you, I was going to say, do you guys get flu shots? Yeah, I did a few weeks ago. Did you pay yeah, for your flu mine. shots in the States? Uh, I don't because my insurance pays for it. Okay. So what does a flu shot cost? You know? I don't know. I don't pay for it. <laughs> Five to 30, I think, is what Walgreens and CVS say. How much? How much? 25 to $30, I think. Oh, okay. Um, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's with any sort of qualification regarding healthcare plans, but my healthcare is similar to Mark's where I didn't have to pay anything so it was free to me. I, yeah. I, I could look. It probably shows on the billing somewhere. Yeah. Our government uh, insurance or, yeah, our government health plan covers our flu shots. So I wonder if it's the same flu shot. It must be the same flu shot you guys get down there, right? Oh, thanks. So. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're in the same part of the world. So mm. they've they've done their best guess at figuring out what's going to make its way here. Yeah. That must be like trying to crack a 256 bit code, right? <laughs> or worse. Well, it's always a guess, right? They don't actually know what the, what the strains yeah. are going to be. So, and sometimes I guess wrong. So, so the uh, vaccine's not particularly effective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard sometimes that people have said that it gets them sick as well, too. Have you ever heard that? Or is that just people's perception? I've heard that. Because uh, yeah. I mean, the way it works is that it it, uh, it has sort of inactive viruses, right? And it causes your immune system to react to it. But but uh, sometimes when your immune system reacts, you feel like you're sick, right? Because it's mm-hmm. because it's it's the same effect. And, and uh, so some people get that. Others don't. Mm. Yeah, I had this year, the first time since ever, I've been getting my flu shot for years, paid through employers. Um, for the first time ever, I had some side effects. In this case, I had vertigo, mm. which like some pretty severe vertigo where that night, um, close to uh, probably close to midnight, I suddenly felt as if gravity had shifted 90 degrees. Really? Yeah, it felt like, like I, it didn't affect my vision. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't, didn't feel um, nauseous or anything. It just felt like some switch went off in my brain where the whole world shifted to the left 90 degrees. Hmm. Like gravity was facing out my right ear. Oh. And the the next day after I woke up, the whole day I still felt like I was five to 10 degrees off axis. Wow. It was really, 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 and I was like, uh, should I go to the doctor? I don't know. Let me look it up and say, oh, the vertigo is a known side effect and the doctor's not going to do anything at all about it unless you have severe symptoms and then they might decide to medicate you. Otherwise, one to two days, at most a week. If it's longer than that, go check it out. And, and mine lasted only a couple days. Wow. By the way, I'm just watching a video here. Bloomberg's actually doing a report on Apple's event. <laughs> Is it a, a video of them watching from their couch? <laughs> well, pretty much, but they've got this guy on here. No offense to the guy, but they've got him down as, as um, Bloomberg Intelligence, right? So I guess they had to like like they had to use like spy networks to get uh, find out what's going on. I'm not I'm not um, listening. To, I've got the audio turned off, so I can't really hear what he's saying. But I just it's funny that they talk about uh, that they would have. Well, I guess it's just like us. We were banned from the event too, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's not looking good there. I, I do feel like somebody messed up real bad at Bloomberg. Yeah, yeah, it seems that way. Yeah. What will the follow-up be, though? I wonder if there will be any. So, Britley, are you guys keeping track of this um, Lion Air crash over in uh, Indonesia? Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the brand new plane. Yeah, holy smokes. That that plane was delivered by Boeing in August. Yeah, yeah. So something went horribly wrong somewhere, and NTSB will figure it out. But um, that's crazy. That that definitely should not happen. Like a brand new plane, you mean? Or 
there. Yeah, because like, what kind of many, um, what kind of maintenance could they have possibly done in a few handful of months? Well, it's funny though. I, I, you must know this, but I, th- I don't think a lot of people know that that planes run for they fly for like a month at a time, right? Like they just they land in one place, turn around, fly back, right? Like don't yeah, like, are they, they like buses? They just kind of they just keep going back and forth and back and forth, and then they take them off the line for a bit. And like, yeah, you, there's um, there's all sorts of stuff that goes into how long can they fly without mm-hmm. requiring some sort of, you know, particular maintenance, like oil change, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what equipment can and can't be, um, glitching in any sort of way before this craft may or may not fly. And under what conditions will it fly? Um, there are these uh, series of checks and A, B, C, and D check that are like, all right, after so many miles or so many pressurization cycles, you know, um, you do more and more maintenance, but you're right. They, they generally do, um, land, get refueled, get cleaned up, you know, people add food and all sorts of things into the thing and they just take off as, as soon as they possibly can. And so the the bigger strain is probably going to be on these um, shorter range passenger flights, like a 737 MAX would be, mm-hmm. rather because it's going to take off, fly from, you know, San Francisco to LA, going to land, turn around and fly right back or fly to Phoenix or something, as opposed to like a, like a 777, very large aircraft is going to fly from New York to London and it's going to wait a while and then it's going to fly back or something, right? It's mm-hmm. um, that that pressurization cycle and and taking off and landing are like not only the most dangerous parts, but they're also the most stressful, straining parts on the aircraft. So it kind of makes sense in a way that maybe oh there was something weird and wrong with this seven thirty seven that would show up sooner for a short range aircraft versus a long range um, aircraft. But it's still pretty scary considering it was let's call it three months, right? August to October. Mm. They'll look into it. it most like nine times out of 10 for, for aircraft, commercial aircraft uh, disasters, it's pilot error. And then of the other one tenth, the nine out of 10 times for that is maintenance error. And then in the one tenth of one tenth, it might be uh, manufacturer error. And even then, it's usually more like, oh, um, we didn't design the part in such a way that it cannot possibly be installed incorrectly, right? Like it can only fit in one direction, mm-hmm. which is sort of like a variant on maintenance error, but like understandable maintenance error of like, dude, you didn't tell me this thing has a particular orientation. There's like, there's no arrows on it. It's not shaped in a particular way. It only goes in. Highly unlikely that it would have been like some sort of design flaw in the engineering phase. So this is like, I think part of the reason why the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board takes like six months to a year before they um, come out with their findings. They're going to be picking up all those pieces, putting them in a a warehouse, and almost reconstructing the damn aircraft. Yeah. Would the NTSB be involved in this particular crash? Isn't it like an Indonesian airline sort of thing? So they're... I'd have to see how they're actually funded and everything, but it's not like um, it's not like a legislative body. It's more of an investigative body, mm-hmm. and so um, I think it's it's in everybody's interest that the NTSB get involved. Um, just like they'll have Boeing's technicians involved to investigate this this thing and figure out what happened. Um, they were involved in like all sorts of international things. Like uh, I forget which flight it is that went down in Malaysia, the A three forty, I think it was. Um, largely because it's like a lot, like decades of expertise that goes into this. So if mm-hmm. you really want to find out what's going on it'd be silly not to let the ntsb come in like they, they don't set laws or anything they're just like uh we have this recommendation and faa needs to go set laws for the united states which yasa in the european union will probably institute which means that just about every other um civil aviation authority within the world will use faa's and yasa's recommendations and then add on whatever's local right like uh, canada's um civil aviation authority probably uses that as well hmm. 
Cool stuff. All right, folks. All right. So I'll talk to you guys later. A couple of weeks. Yep. See you later. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye. Night. Bye.